0: If you're enjoying this MedPrep2Go Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Crush Step 1 podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medprep and find our new subscription podcast called MedPrep2Go Step 1 Bundle. Hi, I'm Dr. Raj, and this is the MedPrep2Go podcast. I'll be reviewing USMLE Step 1 questions. In fact, I'll be reviewing three questions today from everyone's favorite topic, and that's going to be pathology. So to get more questions, go to our website, www.medprep2go.com. This is the free audio and online question bank and to learn more about me dr raj check out my own podcast the dr raj podcast i also have my other one called beyond the pearls podcast it's really keyed up to my two book series one is called morning report beyond the pearls for step two and three as well as my case reports beyond the pearls really geared towards step one and you know i love it i love it when you follow me on social media Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you know what? I hate to admit it. I think I do some TikTok stuff. It's kind of embarrassing, but you can check me out there too. So let's get to these three pathology questions. We have a 17-year-old girl who presents to the emergency department with excruciating retrosternal chest pain. She reports that the chest pain began abruptly less than two hours ago. There was no preceding trauma Her past medical history is significant for bulimia nervosa. And that stinks. You know, any of uh, these disorders where you're binging and purging are just horrible. Many individuals, both men and women, suffer from these and any type of eating disorder I just always feel bad about. And when we talked about, you know, I'm just going to do a side pearl right here. If someone comes in and they have bulimia nervosa, did you expect them to have a metabolic acidosis or a metabolic alkalosis? What do you folks think? I just want to skew. The answer is yeah, you kind of think they're going to have metabolic. Alkalosis. Why do you think that's? Because you have all this vomiting, and when you have all this vomiting, oh boy, you, you're definitely predisposed to getting uh, a metabolic alkalosis there. So, just on a side note, okay. Remember, when you get lots and lots and lots of diarrhea, what do you expect? You'd, you'd expect a non-anion gap metabolic acidosis, vomiting, metabolic alkalosis. So, her history is significant for bulimia nervosa, but otherwise is unremarkable. She denies tobacco, alcohol, and drug use. Vital signs reveal some tachycardia and hypotension, which of the following would be most likely in this patient? Uh, A, chest wall crepitus on physical exam. It's kind of like feeling for the Rice Krispies when you're doing uh, palpitation of the chest wall. B, elevated troponin. That sounds kind of like a a lame answer. Why? Do you folks think that this 17-year-old girl is presenting with a myocardial infarction? Highly doubt it. I know it said chest pain, but I mean, common things are common. I'm not suspecting suspecting an MI, so I'm not going to pick B. C, increased gastric acidity. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's, you know, uh, vomiting and purging and all those things, unfortunately. Uh, But to say that the big thing is that she's having really bad heartburn that abruptly started two hours ago, that really doesn't make a lot of sense, especially excruciating chest pain from some heartburn. I don't know. I don't believe I don't buy it. So I'm not going to go with C. D infiltrates on chest X-ray. So you're saying she has some kind of pneumonia. Maybe she aspirated or something like that. But abrupt onset two hours ago, excruciating. I mean, that's some powerful pneumonia, you know. I'm not going to go with that. E, ST segment elevation, kind of going along with B, thinking that this is an acute coronary syndrome. And, you know, raise your hand. Does anyone think a 17-year-old woman with the history presented here, which is just Lima nervosa is going to develop an acute coronary syndrome. I didn't think so. So you're kind of backed into saying what chest wall crepitus on physical exam. And that is the correct answer, which is a, and I I see where they're going here, you know, and someone is vomiting and vomiting. Suddenly you get a what? Tear of the esophagus and it's time to memorize who knows what syndrome that's called. Yeah, that's going to be a boarhab syndrome. And when we talk about the right answer here, Borhab syndrome, forceful vomiting can lead to esophageal rupture, uh, secondary to increased intraesophageal pressure. In Borhab syndrome, physical exam may be significant for chest wall crepitation due to subcutaneous emphysema. Borhab syndrome leads to uh, mediastinitis that can be actually very, very dangerous and being an mediastinitis due to contamination of the mediastinal cavities with gastric content. That's horrible. Uh, and you know, when you shoot a chest x-ray on these folks, I know the answer was D, well, not the answer, but choice D said pulmonary infiltrates on chest x-ray, but you can see something called pneumomediastinum, because you got air on that subcutaneous space, that would be the chest x-ray finding to think about. Well, the right answer here is definitely A, that chest wall crepitation. On imaging of the chest, you would see pneumomediastinum. Uh, choice B, elevated troponins is incorrect. There's no risk factors of coronary artery disease. Choice C, increased gastric acidity is incorrect. You know, I agree. This patient does have self-induced vomiting uh, and other purging. Increased gastric acidity results from things like gastritis, esophagitis, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. But this clinical vignette of sudden onset of excruciating chest pain does not correlate with that diagnosis of increased gastric acidity. Um, Choice D, pulmonary infiltrates on chest X-ray. We talked about it already. You know, I couldn't believe that she could have aspirated, you know, and maybe we'll see findings and maybe the uh, right lower lobe doesn't necessarily have to be a bacterial pneumonia. It could be kind of like a inflammatory where you could have aspiration pneumonitis, but I just don't think that this is going to be some, the way they presented it with the excruciating chest pain, that that's going to be the answer. They were implying pneumonia in this case. And choice E, uh, the ST segment elevations. Don't get me wrong, in most cases, someone screams chest pain in the emergency department, you are going to get an ECG, but I really highly doubt that this patient is going to have an ST elevation MI. Um, so what's the key learning points here? Chest wall crepitus uh, due to subcutaneous emphysema may be seen in patients with boarhab syndrome. Other clinical manifestations include mediastinal crackling uh, with each heartbeat due to mediastinal emphysema per on auscultation, you can get fevers to give me a tachycardia. And uh, hypotension that could be multifactorial. Great question over here. Let's do another. Uh, we have a fifty-eight-year-old man presents in the emergency department with shortness of breath, chest pain that worsens on inspiration, so kind of like a pleuritic chest pain, and diaphoresis for three hours. So really acute. Past medical history, significant for hypertension, and oh, poor guy's got gout. He works as a truck driver. Meaning that he's going to be a sedentary sitting in the car for extended periods of time. I wonder where they're going with this. Acute onset of chest pain, pleuritic in nature, and I drive a truck. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> uh, vital signs are a febrile 98.6, BP is 130 over 100, heart rate of 109, respirations are 22, so a little tachypneic. And uh, they do an arterial blood gas. All right, hope they didn't do that before a chest x ray because. I don't think I'd be doing ABG right off the bat. And the pH is elevated at 7.6, PCO2 of 28. So just based upon those, looks like a respiratory what? Alkalosis, very good. But let's just confirm it. The bicarb is at the numbers, 24. It's normal. PAO2 is 68, so it's on the lower side. But they didn't give us the O2 sat, but with a PAO2 of 68, it's a little bit on the lower side. The O2 sat, probably still in the 90s somewhere. How do I know that? Going back to U assembly, step one, physiology, the oxygen dissociation curve, remember that you're going to have on the y-axis, your O2 sat on the x-axis, your P little a O2, known as your dissolved oxygen. And yeah, I mean, your P O2 could drop down pretty significantly and you're still going to be at that high 90 plus saturation percent. So choice A is going to be, oh, an acute PE pulmonary embolism. That will definitely be high on my differential. Uh, B, atypical pneumonia. And I guess when you think of atypical pneumonia, we don't really use that terminology as much anymore. I think historically, radiographically, you say typical pneumonia, think of a low bar consolidation. And of course, the number one culprit is always going to be strep pneumo. When you say atypical pneumonia, you know, you I'm sure someone's going to yell out Legionnaires, someone's going to yell out walking pneumonia, which is I mean, mycoplasma, someone's going to say chlamydia, so this is all correct, you know what I mean? But remember that there's no guarantee that legionella will always present with a bilateral infiltrative process. It could be low sometimes, you know what I mean? But you're thinking of atypicals here. I think mycoplasma and legionella behind the differential. But this doesn't really present with this acute onset, uh, three hours pleuritic in nature. Don't get me wrong. I mean, pneumonia will definitely give you pleuritic chest pain. But patient's also afebrile. I'm just throwing it out there. C, I don't know where they're going with this, ethylene glycol poisoning. I don't know if they feel that the truck driver needed to be intoxicated and couldn't find any (laughs) regular alcohol. But if you're going to throw that out there, dude, hook me up with with a what? Give me some metabolic acidosis. Give me the gap. Hook me up for some gap. Give me an osmolar gap. So I don't know where this is going from, you know? Unless they say he has a a craving for antifreeze. I was just trying to be funny, which I'm not. Uh, Oh, D. Obstructive sleep apnea, that makes absolutely no sense as a choice. Uh, Sleep apnea (laughs) doesn't present with acute onset (laughs) of verdict chest pain. Um, E-pseudo-hypoaldosteronism, well, that just means you don't have aldosterone levels. I don't know why that would happen unless you damage your adrenals, but this is not it. And patient's blood pressure is pretty normal. I'm sure if you don't have any aldosterone, you're going to be a little bit on the hypotensive side. And choice F, wow, the writer went for it. Uh, severe sal- salicylate poisoning, meaning that you took too much aspirin, that would be kind of mean to write. Seeing how in the vignette it doesn't mention that the patient has taken aspirin, and I guess if you want to play the acid game, acid-base game, what's what's the memorizing thing for step one? The patient will have a metabolic uh, anion gap acidosis, and will also have a respiratory alkalosis. So I, I, maybe the writer was like, "Hey, I like to be tricky and put a respiratory." Alkalosis like he did in in the question, but then you had to give me all the goodies. You gotta give me the sodiums, you gotta give me the chloride and and bicarb because I need need to calculate the anion gap. And also I need to figure out is there gonna be, you know, another disorder there, which we know he didn't do. So, you know, if I was bullied into something, I would pick what? A is an apple. Definitely this is a PE. And guess what the right choice is? Yay, it's a pulmonary embolism and these patients often develop what we call dead space physiology what is dead space when you have a clot in the vasculature but the uh, alveoli where the ventilation goes from is beautiful so in theory pulmonary embolism is classically dead space like physiology when you have like a you know a PE, I'm not talking about a massive PE causing syncope or hypotension. I mean, most people with a PE, you kind of hyperventilate because you've got a PE. So classically, we do see a mild respiratory alkalosis. And they do to be, uh, tend to be somewhat hypoxic, and uh, they also develop a widening of the A gradient. So this is kind of where they're going with this arterial blood gas. Choice B is the wrong answer, like we already talked about. You know. Infections are really not going to present as an acute onset. We talked about mycoplasma. We talked about legionella, chlamydia, pneumonia. And also, of course, in this question, really the lack of fevers here, the lack of cough here. So really doesn't kind of correlate with that. And it says, uh, you know, chest x-ray, you know, doesn't really show any type of pneumonia. But let me ask you this rare question. Can someone tell me one chest x-ray finding that you may see if you have a pulmonary embolism? you what's called a wedge-like infarction? Right, cool, man. And uh, does anyone know the name of that? What do we call that? Why are you folks so smart? You're right. It's called a Hamptons hum. So you guys are ready for the boards. Choice C, ethylene glycol poison is incorrect. We already spoke about that. There's no and. I got metabolic acidosis. And if I were to ask you what's the antidote for ethylene glycol toxicity, who could just yell out what the antidote is? A little memorizing. Oh, and sometimes if the kidneys are super damaged. Yeah, dialysis. Choice D, this is not obstructive sleep apnea. Most people though say do not present with a respiratory acidosis. There is another entity called obesity hy- hypoventilation syndrome. They do present with a respiratory acidosis that's more chronic in nature. And that will be present both at night and during the day. Uh, choice E, pseudo-hypoaldosteronism is not the right answer. Uh, these individuals, if you don't have aldosterone, Tend to be on the lower sodium side, tend to be hyperkalemic, tend to have a metabolic acidosis, which this patient did not have. And the blood pressure was good. And last, severe so salicylate poisoning is incorrect based on the vignette. And we talked about some of the acid-base findings. Usually you have an got metabolic acidosis combined with a respiratory alkalosis. The main point here is that in most people with a mild, small, not too big pulmonary embolism, they can present with a respiratory alkalosis hypoxemia, winding of the A gradient. All right. Wow, I really kind of went to town with that one. Sorry about that. Uh, Sometimes I get a little sidetracked when I enjoy the question. Last one's pretty quick. Let's talk about this 35-year-old woman presents with the, to the emergency department with complaints of intense right-sided flank pain, nausea, vomiting for six hours. So once again, kind of acute. Plain films of the abdomen reveals opaque stones that look like is obstructing her entire renal pelvis. Wow. Laboratory testing reveals a norm serum creatinine in a urine pH of 11. Wow. That's impressive. Which of the following is most likely the chemical composition of these stones? Can you name that stone? You know what? That would be a great show. <laughs> name that stone. Is it A, calcium oxalate, B, cysteine, C, magnesium ammonium phosphate, or D, uric acid? Um, the correct answer here is C, magnesium, ammonium phosphate. So another name for these stones are called struvite stones, which are a high yield for the boards. They are strongly associated with urinary tract infections, with organisms that split urea with their urease enzyme. This results in a highly alkaline urine, hence pH of 11. That's super alkalemic. They keep finding associated with uh, magnesium, ammonium phosphate stones is what I mentioned at high... Uh, alkaline urine. These stones may grow rapidly over weeks to months and may get so large that they fill the entire renal pelvis and are called staghorn pelliculus because they look like antlers. These stones appear radiopaque. Choice A calcium oxides incorrect. Calcium oxide stones represent the majority of kidney stones, which I totally agree with. The risk of calcium oxide stones formation increases as urine oxalate excretion increases. These stones are really opaque, but are usually associated with a low calcium diet and increased intestinal calcium absorption with malabsorption syndrome, such as inflammatory bowel disease, which really encompasses two things, which is ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. Uh, choice B, cysteine is incorrect. Cysteine stones are most commonly found in children as a result from the genetic disorder called cysteineria. Answer choice D, uric acid is incorrect. Uric acid stones are radiolucent. Conditions that increase uh, the risk of uric acid stones include gout. Don't forget that monoarticular inflammatory arthritis. And of course, gout always likes to affect the big toe, especially when we talk about USMLE questions. If you have gout in the big toe, what do we call that, everyone? Memorizer, podagra. Good job. Um, also, di- chronic diarrhea, diabetes, and metabolic having the metabolic syndrome also puts you at a higher risk for uric acid stones. So the learning point here is struvite stones are made of magnesium ammonium phosphate and are produced by urea splitting organisms resulting in a highly alkaline urine. So those are our questions today. I hope you enjoyed those. And to check out more questions, go to our website www.medprepgo.com.